The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, looking to the life of Christ. Now don't hear me wrong when I say this. All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for Um, training, instruction, and righteousness. Every bit of the Word of God is authoritative over us, but there's some portions of God's Word that are less applicable to us than others. There's some portions that have less, how would I word that, less of a, less teaching, honestly, for us. When we read of the tribes of Israel and their locations and where God allotted each section of land for them, there's great meaning and value and historical value in that, and we could draw some application. But, but there's other passages that speak just powerfully to us, that are deep and that are rich in admonition and exhortation to us. And such is the case as we have landed in Matthew chapter 5 as we're working through, walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus Himself giving this great message recorded under the inspiration of God by the disciple Matthew for us to hear and to learn of God and to to read of these words even that Jesus spoke so many years ago. Uh, It is rich and it is deep. I hope you have found it so as we've now walked through half of these Beatitudes that begin this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Beatitudes coming from the Latin just meaning blessing. Uh, the, the, the pronouncements of those who are blessed in the eyes of God, having a contentment, a happiness in life, because the favor of God is upon them. And as we've looked to these Beatitudes, I have reminded you every week, do not look to these Beatitudes as a roadmap to the kingdom. Don't think that, well, goodness, if I can just take some of these characteristics and get them worked up in my life, that somehow I'm going to make it into the kingdom of God. That is not what Jesus is uh, doing as He speaks these words. He's actually showing us that none of us in and of ourselves measure up to being what God requires of us. We are not in our flesh, in our nature, citizens of the kingdom of God. We actually, as we look to these characteristics, find we fall far short of what God requires. It's actually a litmus test for the kingdom that reveals to us None measure up. None of us are what we ought to be. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. And thank the Lord, Jesus, we're going to see, He gets to the cross. That's where He's heading. He is our Redeemer. He is our salvation. And so it is, one, an application for us in our, in our flesh, in our natural state of being lost, to say we're not what God requires. But then don't lose the application to the believer that when you come to Christ, when you believed upon Him as Lord and Savior, You're redeemed, and you're given the Spirit of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You've become a a child of God, and now, as a citizen of the kingdom, as a child of God, these characteristics ought to be being produced within your life. So much so that we can, as believers, look to these Beatitudes and, and preach them, as I'm going to do, applicationally to the life of the believer, that these things ought to define us, ought to be true of us by the grace of God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of Matthew 5. We'll read through the entirety of the Beatitudes, but we're going to focus on verse 7 on this fifth Beatitude. And seeing the multitudes, he, that being Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated with his his disciples came to him, then he opened up his mouth and he taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Back to verse 7, our beatitude for the morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to set a foundation, an introduction to give us a right understanding of mercy and, and how mercy plays out in our lives as believers. And then I want to, the, the main portion of the message this morning, sort of build the house on that foundation. Three applicational points regarding how, how mercy ought to play out in our lives in the context of three different relationships. And so first, to sort of set this foundation, what is mercy? How are we to rightly think about and understand mercy, first of all? I want to give you a simple definition. This definition is taken from a lot of different definitions, but in my own words, just to kind of rubber meet the road definition of what I think is a great idea of mercy. Mercy is compassion, sympathy, and pity for someone in need who hasn't earned it and may not have deserved it. So mercy is compassion and sympathy and pity. It's being able to see through the eyes of another person. It's being able to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak. Mercy, being merciful of, of a person in need, a person in distress, a person who, who is in distress, distraught, who has not necessarily earned that and probably doesn't deserve it. Uh, just the opposite, the, the truest definition of mercy is when they have done the opposite of deserving it. They've actually done something where they no longer deserve it at all. They actually deserve the opposite. But mercy comes in, and mercy says, I will have compassion anyway on the one I ought not to have compassion upon. I will be sympathetic towards the one who is not rightly deserving of my sympathy. It's the opposite of being ruthless or vindictive, or exacting, keeping a long list of wrongs and remembering those and, and, and making sure people pay for those. And think of going into a classroom and not having a paper on the due date and begging the teacher, please have an extension. What am I asking for there? I'm asking for mercy, for mercy. I deserve a failing grade. You can think of being unable to pay a bill as you've accumulated and, and you seek help from a friend. You're, you're seeking mercy, uh, apologizing for a, a wrong that you've done to someone and, and hoping they forgive you. What are you seeking? What are you desiring there? You're, you're seeking mercy. You realize mercy is a key attribute of God Himself. 
Exodus chapter 34, a key passage within our Scripture. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we, we refer to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 often because it's, it's a theme that is carried out through the entirety of the Scripture even. This is God speaking to Moses, and God is giving this grand revelation of who He is to Moses. Moses knew Him by that name, I Am. But, but it was a progressive understanding at just who this God of, of the Israelites truly was and His, and his core and His essence of who He is. And it is a, a self-revelation from God to Moses. And we think of all the ways that God could describe Himself. Okay, God could have said, I am God who's mighty in glory. I am God, the almighty creator of the heavens and earth. I am God who is infinite in wisdom and might and power. All of these things are true of God, and they are ways in which God could have introduced Himself, revealed Himself to His servant Moses. But how is it that God chose to reveal Himself? What is it that He emphasizes first and foremost? Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, And the Lord passed before Him, and the Lord proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. Of all the characteristics that God could have chosen, He begins by saying, I am a God that is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That our God is a God who delights in mercy. He's a God who delights when even wayward, sinful human beings turn to find as they repent that He forgives, that He has mercy for everyone and for anyone who turns to Him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 speaks of God being rich, rich in mercy, and saving us because of that mercy. Psalm 145 and verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Our, our God is a merciful God. Our God is a God who delights in His mercy being manifested, being revealed, being known. And therefore He commands of His people in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. To do justly, to do what's right, and to love mercy. To be merciful, loving the mercy God has given, and therefore having mercy even for all who are around you in need, all who are around you who need the mercy of God even flowing through you and walking humbly before your God. Luke chapter 6 and verse 36 Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Mercy rightly given, truly given, only flows out of an abundance of the mercy of God that's been given to you. You must have your, your sort of mercy capacity filled with the mercy of God in order to ever have mercy to give away, to, to show to other people. That's what this beatitude is ultimately pointing us to. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Don't think Jesus is saying in these words, well, if you're merciful to other people, then someday God might be merciful to you. That, that's not, and when we read this in the entirety of the context of Scripture, we see there's sort of a paradox in this beatitude, just as there is in all of them. That, that What jo uh, Jesus is saying here is that 
if you've really come to experience the true mercy of God, and therefore you're going to obtain mercy in that final day of judgment because you've received the pardoning of God, the forgiveness of God upon your life right in the here and now, um, you will have mercy for other people. The, the, the greatest evidence of you truly knowing the mercy of God is that you are a merciful person. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in that final day of judgment because they've come to receive the grace and mercy of God in the here and now. He's not saying you earn God's mercy through your mercy. He's saying if you've really received God's mercy, your life's going to reflect it. You're going to be merciful to others around you because you are you realize I'm an unworthy sinner that's received the, the greatest mercy of all, the mercy of God that has been given to me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The only way that you become merciful is to realize how much mercy you have needed from God and how much mercy you have obtained from Him. And so that's a sort of foundational, fundamental understanding of mercy. And what I want to do now is build a funny-looking house. It's got three walls, not four. We'd be here all morning. Three points to give to you this morning. Three walls that are just applications. How does this mercy play out in the life of a believer? Three key ways that we are to show mercy as those who have received God's mercy. Notice first, you must show mercy to those who are in need. Mercy to those who are in need. Dealing with physical needs. Physical poverty. Physical health issues. Throughout the Bible, we won't look to many passages, just a couple, but throughout the Scriptures, it is revealed that God is a God who has compassion upon the poor and the weak and the needy of this life. That, that He is a God who hears the cries of the widow that no one else is answering, and the, the orphan, and those that are the, uh, hungry, and those that are being wrongly and falsely accused because they don't have the power of others, that, that God is a God whose heart is there for the broken and the downtrodden, the hurting and the afflicted and the weak and the, the impoverished. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11, For the poor will never cease from the land, therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land, even build them to the wall where we're commands given that were able to provide food for the hungry, for the needy, for the, the poor of the uh, Israelites there in Jerusalem. God all even built into many of His commands these, these avenues by which, by which the needs of the impoverished and the weak and the afflicted would be met. We won't look to all of them, but just if you study the law out, you'll see that over and over and over again. He, he commanded even in Proverbs 19 and verse 17, uh, recognizing that we, even what we do to the poor, we can account it as doing it for God, and that God rewards it accordingly. It says in Proverbs 19 and verse 17, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and He will pay back what is given. Uh, what a promise of God that as we even are merciful, as the ones who have received the mercy of God, we ought to be merciful to the needs of people around us, and as we sacrifice to meet those needs, God says you can account it as meeting His needs. And that God will someday repay accordingly. The New Testament passage, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, that is the love of God abide in him. 
The Scripture teaches all, all humans everywhere are created in the image of God. And we celebrate it every January, the dignity of human life. Dignity of Human Life Sunday, that all life, therefore, because it's created by God uh, in His image, has dignity and worth and value, that, that we of all people ought to be a people who sees the needs of those around us and is willing to sacrifice to help meet those needs. Costly to meet the needs of others. Just ask the, the Good Samaritan, right? Luke chapter 10. Go ahead and flip there this morning. Luke chapter 10. Jesus is answering a question from an expert in the law. This expert in the law asks, you know, what is this greatest commandment? Um, Or what should I do rather to inherit eternal life? And he said in response to it, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy, being the expert of the law, was thinking, well, what what does that mean? Who is my neighbor? And he asked Jesus that question. And Jesus responds in verse 29, uh, or verse 30 rather, Then Jesus answered and said to him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so this man on a journey got robbed, got beaten half to death, stripped of even his clothes, left there on the side of the road to die. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. Surely the priest would be one who knows what God requires, who, who knows the heart of the law even. The priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. <laughs> he didn't even get near him. He saw him and departed and left on the other side of the road, not even getting near the filth of this man who had been so brutally beaten and left to die. Likewise, a Levite, that was the tribe of the priests, one who should know God and his law well. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came down and and looked and passed by on the other side. He too, this would be the spiritually elite of the day and age. But a certain Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came where he was. If you know anything about the Samaritans, They were a hated people by the Israelites, by the Jews. They were generations prior, a group of of Israelites who had intermarried with pagan people groups around the land of Israel. Uh, They were viewed as half-breeds. They were viewed um, very derogatively as people who had broken the command of God to not intermarry with other people groups. Um, Jews would even not travel through the land of Samaria, though that would be the shortest journey to get from the north to the south of Israel. They would travel a longer distance across the Jordan just to not even go through the land of Samaria. They were a, a hated, ridiculed, and mocked people. This man, a Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He, he had mercy. So, so he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? This man, the expert of the law, said rightly, he who showed mercy had compassion. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Compassion, mercy upon the hurting, upon the broken, upon the impoverished, upon 
the needy, out of all the people on planet Earth who ought to be a people who see the needs of others and who are willing to even sacrifice of their own to to meet those needs, it ought to be believers. And thank God, throughout the generations of, of church history, it often has been believers. You realize much social work that even happens today and organizations that exist today find in their uh, origination a, a Christian foundation. Think of hospitals and Baptist Health and St. Vincent's. There was a time where medical care was not provided to all, and there is often believers who provided medical care to those who were being overlooked, to those who were not being provided for out of the, the mercy of their heart. Think to the education system, even in a day and age when all were not uh, able to receive education. It it was Christians who began to to take those who were poor and unable to afford school, who who began to educate any and all who would desire to be educated. You, You look to so many organizations, Red Cross, Salvation Army, the whole gamut of them, most all of them began in a movement of believers extending forth the mercy of God that they had received to meet the needs of people who were around them. I'm thankful to preach to a church this morning who knows this and who is a good example of a merciful people that we do much at Trinity Baptist Church to meet even the physical needs of people who are around us. I can think of Lake Area Ministry that we have been such a key part of. And that we still support, not only financially, but but through our volunteers. Speaking of which, we need some more volunteers. If you'd like to serve there, uh, always looking for more help. Uh, A local uh, food pantry for any who are in need in our area to have access to. As Florida Baptists, we can think of one more child, the the Florida Baptist Children's Home. It is amazing what what your offerings go to support in that entity and the mercy ministries that they do for the orphans and and widows and even families, not only in Florida, uh, but all across the world even through the expanse of of their ministry efforts. To think of our disaster relief teams that we send out of our association even. Many of you in our church go on those trips and the, the financial offerings that are collected to help assist when disaster strikes, hurricanes, and and other natural disasters. The list could go on, but this application is not only for us corporately as Trinity, but individually, each and every one of us as a believer. Are you being merciful? Are you seeing the needs of those around you? And are you willing to assist? Are you willing to put action to what you see, not just see it and turn away? And definitely not see it and turn away with disgust as the priest and as the Levite, but to see the need and then be compelled by mercy to meet the need. Even if it costs you, it often will. Even though that person hasn't earned it or deserved it or may not, it may have even done things to not deserve it. Be merciful because Jesus has been merciful to you. We must have a mercy to those in need, firstly, A second application, we must be merciful to those who have been blinded by sin. Not only the the physically impoverished, but also the spiritually impoverished. We we often sing a great song, that the the chorus of it uh, goes, "My, My sins, they are many, His mercies are more. What a great confession of our unworthiness. My sins, they are many, 
but also of the sufficiency of God's grace and His mercy to forgive us and to cleanse us, to save us. His mercies are more. He, he poured them out for us at, at Calvary where Jesus died, a ransom for sinners. When we consider our failures before God and the mercy that He has extended to us, it ought to produce within us a sympathy for those who haven't yet come to saving faith in Jesus. It ought to move our hearts for people all around us even throughout our weekly life who who have never even heard fully what God has done for them through Jesus Christ dying upon a cross for their sins, being buried and raised again. To read the words of Paul in Romans chapter 9. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking truthfully as he writes these words. He he says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. Uh, My conscience is also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. He says that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That, That Paul was so burden for the souls of lost people, especially his brothers that are Israelites who who did not come to see Jesus as the Messiah, that he says, I have continual grief and sorrow in my heart, and I could wish even that I, I myself were accursed of God, that they would come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you look at that extreme example of a burden for lost people and you compare that to where you and I typically are today where we never have any sorrow or grief over a lost soul around us. What a shame. So so many of us go through our lives and I'm guilty of it too without any thought to the eternal nature of every person that we come across. Here's a challenge for you this week. I want you to think of every person you see as an eternal soul that will spend forever in one, in one of two places, either heaven or hell. It'll make a difference in the way that you treat them. It'll make a difference in the mercy that you extend to them. Even when somebody cuts you in line at the grocery store, instead of you know having a smart aleck remark like I often can at least think in my mind and thank the Lord often don't say, to, to have a heart of mercy and realize that's a person in need of salvation. That's a person for whom Christ died. That's a person that will go to hell if they don't have the gospel. And we, by the grace of God, have been given the gospel. We've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've believed upon Him. We've got the the keys to heaven, the gospel itself. And how often we're never burdened by that. We, We let the lostness of people around us never weigh upon our heart in any way, shape, or form. And we live our own little pretty content lives in and of ourselves, even isolated often to ourselves, with no effort ever being extended to give mercy to somebody who needs Jesus. Mercy to somebody who needs to know, hey, I, was, I am a leper, but I've been cleansed by the one who can heal, the one who can redeem, and the one who can save. And, and I, I see the sin in your life. You need cleansing. Here's Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. You need to turn. You need to believe upon Him as Lord and as Savior. The merciful see every person as a soul in need of salvation above all else. Think about that for a moment. See every person, your neighbor across the street, your coworker that annoys you, younger, a friend at college or a friend at school, to realize these are all souls. 
And their greatest need is salvation. And you just might be the instrument God uses to lead them to Jesus. But He doesn't call you to judgment and accusation. He doesn't call you to hard-heartedness and to be an instrument of His vengeance, of His judgment. No, No, He calls you to be an instrument of His mercy. Be merciful. Be merciful to them because of the mercy that Christ has extended to you. We, we love being instruments of judgment. We love being vindictive towards people and seeing the punishment come upon them because of their sins, because of their waywardness. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel righteous as we do that. But, but that's the place of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He calls us to be instruments of mercy, not instruments of justice. Mercy to those in need. Mercy to those blinded by sin. Thirdly and lastly, mercy to those who have wronged you. Mercy to those who have sinned against you personally. I don't know about you, but I find this the hardest place to actually have mercy. Maybe it's just me, but there's something within me that wants vengeance, wants to vindicate myself. What do we call this showing of mercy? Uh, We call it forgiveness. Uh, That's the end of this mercy. What it leads to is forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Listen to these words of Paul. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So based upon the mercy that God has given to us, we are called to have a reservoir of mercy that we can extend to others. Because hear me, when they sin against you, when they wrong you, no matter what they do, no amount of wrong that they do against you will surpass the wrong that you are before a holy, infinitely holy God who has forgiven you. The grace that God's given you will never be less than the grace God calls for you to give to some other person on planet Earth. God has given you this glorious grace in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in Him, in that, because of that, you are called to be gracious, to be merciful, to be forgiving to those who are around you. Now, it is true, you you cannot truly forgive unless a person asks for that forgiveness, confesses the wrongdoing. You can't really restore a relationship unless it, it takes two. Like that person does have to repent. That person does have to ask for forgiveness in order for forgiveness to truly occur. Even where that person is not seeking forgiveness, you are still called to be merciful. You are still called to, by merciful, what I mean there is be seeking forgiveness and not vengeance. Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Don't return evil for evil, but rather good for evil. That we are to, in that sense, turn the other cheek. We are to even receive the wrongs committed against us and respond how? In mercy, because we're not responding because of that person. We're responding because of God and His mercy He's given to us. We have to be careful.
careful what conversations you have with the preacher because you never know when one of your stories might be a sermon illustration, as this one is. I was talking to a man the other day, and he will remain anonymous because if I use his name, none of you will share anything ever with me again out of fear. I will use you as an example from the pulpit. But this is a good example, a good illustration that came to mind as I was thinking about being merciful to those who have even wronged you. Uh, This man was sharing about how when he built his house, there was just an old grumpy man that lived next door. And this man would come out every day, every time he showed up on the property, and he would scream and shout and question about this and complain about that, and why did you cut that tree down? That was a tree that... And he'd complain about the the noise of the construction, and even when he moved in, he, he still, anything and everything they did, nothing was ever right in his eyes, and everything was a cause of complaint and bickering in an old, grumpy, cantankerous, angry sort of way. One day, when this man was out in his yard, he looked over at his neighbor's property, and this man, this old man, had come out into his driveway, and the man just collapsed right there in the yard. And of course, this man ran across the fence and ran over to his side and checked on him and and told him, no, don't get up, and got his wife out of the house and and called for help, and and, and medical help came, and they, they assisted this man, but he never left his side, and he was there as a a friend, as a help to him. And he said from that day forward, things things just radically changed. That that man no longer, he was still grumpy, but he no longer grumped and complained about what the man that lived and built this house was doing or changed. It was a totally different relationship. And you know, I think all of us, I hope, would have run to that man's aid, to that man's side, given the medical emergency nature of the situation. But at the same time, I know there's something within my heart and there's something within your heart too that wants to say, hey, you reap what you sow and just sat there and watched for a little while. Maybe that's just me. We want vengeance. We want to vindicate ourselves. And God says, no, vengeance is mine. I will vindicate my people. God will do a much better job in righteousness of it. When we do it, we sin. When He does it, it will be done in perfect righteousness. He does not call us to be His agents of justice, His agents of judgment, His agents of vengeance. He calls us to be merciful, to turn the other cheek, to return good when even evil is done against us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to close this morning with a powerful statement from John Stott. John Stott said, The gospel is good news of mercy to the undeserving. And he said, The symbol of the religion of Jesus is the cross, not the scales. Religion there used in a good way, true, pure religion. The religion of Jesus, that even being the faith that we adhere to, the faith of Christianity, that the symbol, the emblem to represent Christianity is not the scales, but is the cross. So this morning, I don't don't stand here before you as a preacher of the the faith of Christianity, of the Scripture, the preacher of the, the Gospel, standing behind Lady Justice with her scales of balance and her sword in her hand. No, I stand behind a pulpit that's shaped as a cross. 
as a mercy tree, as the place where God poured out His mercy for us that reminds us we're unworthy sinners. We don't measure up on the scales of justice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God was rich in mercy. God gave His Son to redeem us and to to save us. And we've been given salvation in Him of His grace and of His mercy. And therefore, hear me this morning, when you leave this place, you don't go out into the world God's called you to with the scales of justice measuring everybody up to say you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure. No, you go out. You go out with the cross of Christ. And you say, yes, we're sinners before only God, but Jesus gave His life a ransom for us there, and there's salvation in His name. He's given us mercy, and therefore you show mercy to any and to all who are around you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we beg of You. Lord, help us to be a merciful people because of the great mercy You've given to us. It's so easy to get judgmental. It's so easy to get self-righteous. It's so easy to isolate ourselves and bicker and complain about how everybody else is doing everything else. But Lord, You call us to be agents of change in a wayward, crooked, perverse culture. To be salt and to be light to have a mercy that extends to meet the needs of the broken around us, a mercy to see those in spiritual darkness who need the light of the Gospel, a, a mercy even to extend, extend kindness to those who wrong us and persecute us. Lord, that is not in us to do. It's only in You and in Christ in us. So we pray of Your mercy. Will in us that which You there be one in here who doesn't know Christ, who's never come to see you as the God of mercy that you are, I pray even now in this invitation, that they would turn, that they would repent, that they would call out to you to save them and find your grace is sufficient, your mercy is there waiting. Lord, you delight in forgiving sinners. If only they could.